I want you to give Brother Hodom all your attention. There is a, there is a dynamic going on that you know right now in this world uh, with the Muslim world, and uh, Christians are not always responding as we should. Um, and, and in large numbers, some are, are not responding at all. We need, we need uh, the Lord's help to, to really respond and get behind those who have been called to go full-time. Um, Brother Hodom being one of those. Uh, but, but I don't believe it's anything that the, the, the Christians that were not seeing the need, I think it's just not knowing how sometimes to, to reach those. And so that's why we partner with, with uh, brothers such as Brother Hodom. Uh, he, goes, he goes back in the AG with this ministry. I mean, I think my dad's had you at his service. My dad's been retired for some time, and, and Ken uh, was able to hear him when he came to Huntsville back when Brad McMath was pastor there. So uh, we've got some neat ties together with this. So I don't want to take any more time from Brother Hodum. I want you to take all the time you need, Brother. The Lord will work around it, but uh, come and bless us again. To be in the house of God. Yeah. Everybody happy? Yes. Praise the Lord. Can I use that stand, though, for just a second? Pastor, it is indeed a privilege to be with you, your family, and all of you here at New Song, old acquaintances, building those relationships back again. And I know that I've changed over the years because I've gotten more white. Uh, but uh, it's good to be with you this morning. You're receiving a prayer card, and a little bit later on I saw a picture of the a photo that they're going to use, and that was when our daughters were on our prayer card. And we stopped using that a while back. Both of the young ladies that you will see are now married. And uh, one is 32 years old and the other one is 26. And uh, one year ago, the one was married. And then one year, uh, two years ago, the other one was married. So our, our, our nest is somewhat empty. But I want to say thank you for what you have done for missions in the past and what you're going to do for missions in the future. And the reason that we pass these out is that those two young ladies did not give us one problem when they were growing up. And, it, and no, they were normal, but, but please believe me, they were normal, but they were encapsulated, surrounded, undergirded with prayer. Prayer does work. So I want to encourage you, not only for my family and I, my wife Sandy and I, but for all of your missionaries, for your pastoral staff, for one another, please Take the challenge to be people of prayer very, very seriously because it does work. You know, Pastor, every, every Sunday when I get up, I wonder, or Wednesday night, what's going to happen in the world scene before I have the privilege to share because it seems like you cannot turn on the television or the radio or pick up a magazine, a major magazine, or the newspaper where somewhere in there there's something usually in a very negative connotation about what is going on in the world considering Islam. Unfortunately, it is true, but also, unfortunately, it is by a very small group of Muslims in our world. If you started in Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and India, and then took in either Iran or Turkey, None of them are Arabic-speaking, the six countries that I mentioned. If you took those six countries and combined all of their population together, you have over two-thirds of the Muslims in our world. But we don't hear about them. We don't hear about Muslims that believe in the Quran, but they just want to peacefully live out and practice their faith. Now, it's the potential for Muslims to be radical or... To become part of ISIS there? Yes, it is. It's in the teaching of the Quran, but I'm not focusing on that. 
I'm focusing on their lostness and their reachableness. You say reachableness, is that actually a word? Yes, it is. But uh, I want to tell you that today, there are more Muslims being reached than at any other time in history. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the last 25 years, we've seen more Muslims come to saving faith than the previous 1,300 years combined. Think about that. Just 25 years, we've had more missionaries, more technology than any other time before. But also, it's linked directly to prayer, I believe. And so I want to challenge you, not only as you pray for us, but I want you to pray for Muslims. 25 plus years ago, we started the Juma Prayer Fellowship. Now, this is something, you know, Juma, the day of gathering for Muslims, it's if any time, pastor, that they can go to a mosque and pray, it will be on Friday. So what we ask Christians around the world to do is to take an hour of their Friday, sometime if you can't give an hour, 15 minutes is fine, and pray specifically for Muslims. We actually have an app now that you can go to. It'll come on your phone, Android or Apple, and on Friday it'll go ding, 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 that's all. And up will come three prayer requests, one sentence long. Three prayer requests, one sentence long. There are 60,000 people that have joined the Juma Prayer Fellowship. Thank God. There's not an hour that goes by on Friday where those petitions, Pastor, aren't constantly before the Lord. Guess what happens? Amen. Amen. God moves. God works. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource. And you get to participate in that. Now, I know in the Bentonville, Fayetteville, Rogers area, there are more Muslims here in this part of Arkansas than any other place in Arkansas. They're here. So please reach out to them. I was thinking about the service this morning and the time allotted. And Lord, how can I express to them what it is that we're all about? So I want to tell you a story. Is that okay? Since the, the young children are here, I want to do it. Nasser Dean was a religious man. He was an esteemed uh, person in his local community. And his wife, as the custom was in her environment, in her society, was down in the market every day, and she had to buy her groceries at the market fresh because she didn't have refrigeration. And so she's down in the marketplace every day, and she's buying her groceries and everything else. And down in the marketplace, the old Medina area, all of the women that are there shopping just like her, they're talking. And they're talking about the new things, jewelry that the husband bought her. They're talking about new clothes that the husband bought. They're talking about rugs. They're talking about... Just all kinds of things. And she's sitting there, Nasser Dean's wife, and she's walking around and she's so discouraged because she doesn't have a whole lot. And her husband is just a religious man. So day after day she's hearing this. And you know, after you hear stuff so long, it begins to influence and impact you. And so one day she takes her basket past her and she dumps it and she runs home and she's just bawling and she's crying. Why do I have to be married to this guy? What is he? He's... He's worthless. I mean, even words like that. So a little bit later in the afternoon, Nasser Dean comes home. Habibki, Habibki, I'm home. Oh, boy. The fight starts. As soon as he walks in, boy, she just lashes out at him. You worthless person, you. I mean, just hateful, mean things because she's hurt by what others have said. So she just keeps, keeps on just tongue lashing him. Finally, it comes to this point, and she says, Nasser Dean, 
you're going to have to become something. You're going to have to become a merchant. If you don't become a merchant, it's all over with. I'm leaving you. Nasser Dean, during this whole argument, doesn't say one thing. Now, my wife and I have been married 34 years, and I've learned something. Sometimes it's good just to be quiet. <laughs> let, let them talk. Let, let them go through it. And, and then when the temperatures have gone down a little bit, then you can communicate. Well, anyway, Nasser Dean, he goes outside, and he's walking around, and he's saying, God, what did I do? What have I done? I mean, I love her. I know she loves me, but... You know, I'm a religious man. I, I'm not a businessman. God, I don't have anything. What am I going to do? And finally, down in his corral, he listens and he hears his donkey bray. Now, how many of you have ever heard donkeys? They're not like a horse. No matter what people say. I mean, they scream like a banshee. I mean, they scare the daylights out of you if you're not used to it. If you're walking by and a donkey really brays, it rattles you. Well, he hears his donkey break, Pastor, so he's, I do have something. So he goes down to the corral and opens up the corral, grabs his donkey, and goes down to the animal market down close to the Medina area. So he gets into it with the animal market guy back and forth. They barter over the price of this donkey. Finally, the donkey's sold, and finally, Nasruddin has got some money. So he goes down to the Medina area where his wife has been shopping. Merchant. That's what she said. Be a merchant. I don't know. So he's looking around, and on the corner of the Medina area is a shop with a, the people that own the shop. They live upstairs, but there's, it says for rent in it. Ya Ahmed, Ya Ahmed. Talks to Ahmed. Ahmed, come down, come down. I'm interested in the shop. Ahmed comes down, and Nasruddin and him get, how are you, Ahmed? So good to see you. Back and forth. How's your family, everything? So finally, they start this bartering over the shop. Eventually, Nasruddin gives him, <laughs> i got to get home. <laughs> Nasruddin gives him all the money that he has. doesn't have anything because, again, he's not a businessman. He's not a merchant. So as he's going home, he's happy, and then all of a sudden it hits him. I don't have anything left. I don't have any money. I can't. Oh, she's really going to kill me now. We don't even have a donkey. <laughs> she gets into the house, and, of course, time has passed and everything else, and She's in the kitchen, and she's cooking, and he walks in, and he goes, Habibki, my loved one, Habibki, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, how are you? He says, well, guess what? She goes, what? You know, he's stoking the fire, talking to her. He goes, uh, we've got a shop down in the Medina area, and we're, we're merchants now. And man, she comes out of that kitchen and just, just slobbers her husband up really good. She's so happy. He doesn't have anything to sell. He doesn't have a name for the business or anything. But he's a merchant and he listened to her. This goes on a little while. And so finally, supper's made and they eat. And she's just got these eyes. And she's all, she's just so happy for Nasruddin. He doesn't have the heart to tell her. He doesn't have anything in the shop. There's two wooden crates. There's two broken chairs. It's a dirty, filthy mess, and there's nothing on the shelf. He can't tell her. He can't take another lashing like he just got through with earlier. So anyway, they go to bed. Everything's good. Next morning, he gets up, and he's trying to leave the house without talking to her. How many of you women have ever had a man do that to you? Yeah, you know, it's the best thing just, mm. 
So he's trying to sneak out. She's already up cooking him breakfast. She's so happy and enthralled that she's married to a merchant. So he comes in and he eats down and she's just, oh, this is for you, honey. Oh, this is for you. So eventually he's got to go. He says, well, I'll see you this evening. I'm skipping lunch. And he says, oh, no, I'll be down at the shop around 10 o'clock. Me and you will have tea together. So he goes down to the shop and he's just in dread. He sweeps the floor, cleans everything up, arranges the two little uh, boxes, wooden boxes and the two chairs, and he keeps watching the clock. At 10 o'clock, sure enough, the door opens, the bell dings, in walks his wife carrying the tray, and she's carrying the tea, and she comes in, and she sets it down, and she comes over, and she kisses him, because he's already sitting up. He's too weak to stand up thinking about what's going to happen. She just sits there, and she talks to him just as nice as she can be, and she pulls something out of her, her uh, robe like this, and she pulls it out, and she says, this is your lunch, and she said, and I'm fixing a very special uh, supper for you. Nasser, he goes, is she blind? Can't she see? There's nothing in this shop. I can't sell anything. She kisses him on the forehead and leaves. Day after day, that goes on. But finally, Nasser Dean realizes that eventually he's going to run out of rent time, and he hasn't made any money, and eventually he's going to be out on the street. What is he going to do? No idea. Well, as the custom was in this country, in this city, the sultan, the king, every Friday used to come down to his village and he would check and say, how's business? How's business? How's business? Oh, and by the way, don't forget to pay your taxes. Don't forget to pay your taxes. I need that revenue. I hope business is good. Pay your taxes. Everywhere he's going, he's greeting all of the people and stuff. Don't forget to pay your taxes. So he walks into Nasser Dean's shop. Nasser Dean stands up. Oh, Sultan, oh, King, come on in. King comes in, and Nasser Dean sets him down in one of the chairs with a broken crate. He says, I got some tea. It's not real hot. The king says, oh, it's okay. So he serves the king some tea, and they're sitting there, and they're talking back and forth about family and health and everything. And the king's looking around, and his whole entourage is with him. And as he looks around the shop, he goes, Nasser Dean, have you lost your mind? What are you doing here? Nasser Dean goes, well, I'm a merchant. And again, the sultan king looks at everything, and there's nothing in the store. He goes, a merchant. He goes, oh, yes, your lordship. He says, I sell the most valuable thing in all of your kingdom. Hmm. Really? What's that? Nasser Dean goes, I sell wisdom. Wisdom, well, as a leader, as a king, as a sultan, he's always trying to be a better leader and stuff. And he says, well, I'm always in need of wisdom. He says, do you have any for sale today? He says, I still have one left. And he says, well, what is it? He, so Nasser Dean takes the teacup, empties the teacup, and says, fill this up with gold coins, and I'll sell it to you. Uh-huh. I know what you're thinking. The gas on his forehead, right? No. He says, hmm. And he really sees that Nasser Dean is very sincere. So he calls one of his money men, comes over, and he opens up the sack and fills up the uh, cup with gold coins, hands it to Nasser Dean. Nasser Dean takes it. And he says, are you ready, king? Are you ready? King goes, yeah. Okay, here it is. Now 
Listen, do nothing without first consider its end. Did you get that? Do nothing without first consider its end. He scratches his head, strokes his beard, says, that's it? Not so yeah, that's it. It's wonderful. He goes, man, that's expensive. He says, oh, no, it was on special today. It was on clearance. So anyway, King gets up. He's not wanting to be made to look foolish in front of his entourage. Now, Sir Dean, so he leaves the shop, goes out the shop, and all the way back to his castle, it keeps ringing in his head, do nothing without first consider its sin. And just as he walks into his castle on the right-hand side is the royal calligrapher's office, all documents, all posters, all announcements. This dude's job is to write it out in calligraphy. So the king, the soldier, stops and says, hey, I got a job, job for you. Here's what I've got. I want posters. This big by about this big. In every room in the castle, and this is what I wanted to say, do nothing without first consider its end. That's it. That's it. Can you handle it? Yeah. Get busy. So the calligrapher gets busy. Unbeknownst. To the sultan, two thugs they don't like him, they can't stand him because their family used to rule the kingdom. Something happened. And they want to get rid of the sultan, but they can't do it because if they just killed him, then they'd be killed because of the rules and the law. So they watch the sultan, everything, and they're higher up. They watch everything that he does. Watching, looking for an opportunity, but nothing presents itself. Nothing's going on. And then one day, they see their opportunity. The royal... Barber. <laughs> the royal barber. They, yeah. They see the opportunity. What they will do is when the, when the sultan is getting his shave and he's getting cleaned up, the barber can just let the razor slip. He'll bleed out. He'll die. He's not guilty. We're not guilty. We come into the leadership position. Wonderful plan. But when they're in, give me back my money. <laughs> when they're in negotiations with the, with the barber, they're sitting there and they're trying, man. He says, man, I like the guy. I like him a lot. He's a great guy. And they said, no, man, he's a bum. He's a bum. He needs to be put under, put under. And he goes, no, man, I've got a job. I'm employed. Can't you see? What are you, dunce? Yeah, okay. So anyway, finally, the, the way, no, the way they get it done, here, the way they get it done is they off, uh-huh, and no, back up. It's agreed upon. Price is set, I'll put that back in my wallet. Price is set, he's going to do the deed. On the day that it comes, pastor, come here, get up, yep, you're doing it, you're doing a good job, sit down here. 
prepared. <laughs> anyway, he's getting ready. But just as he gets ready, and he tilts the pastor, and he gets ready, and the knife's right there, the sultan looks across the room, and he sees the very first poster. And he says it out loud. Do Learn from her. <laughs> Do nothing without first consider its end. As soon as he says that, the barber drops to his knees. Oh, Sultan, oh, Sultan, I love you. It's those guys. They're the bad guys. They hate your guts. They're the ones that bribe me. I love you. I'm glad I've got it. And the Sultan said here, has no idea, oh yeah, has no idea, none of what's going on. But as he looks at the bums, uh, and he sees the terror in their face and their expressions, he whips out his hand and says, seize them. So they're incarcerated. So the sultan, he gets up, and you're in jail too. You guys can go back. You're all in jail. All in jail. He gets up, and he's shaking. Why? Because he recognizes how close he came to death. And as he's standing up now, and he looks across the room, he sees the poster one more time. Do nothing without first consider its end. Calls his entourage. They go down to the Medina area. Pass everybody up. Don't say anything. Walk into Nasruddin's shop. Guess what? Nasruddin's got some new threads. Got some new furniture. And when the sultan walks in, he starts shaking. He, he says, oh, sultan, so glad to see you. Come, have tea with me, sit. And the sultan goes, no, Nasruddin. It's time for you to sit. So Nasruddin is really scared now. And then he starts off. You remember? A couple weeks back I was in here and Nasruddin goes, yeah. He says, and you sold me some wisdom. And Nasruddin goes, yeah. He says, Nasruddin, that was wonderful wisdom. As a matter of fact, in my kingdom, I'm going to be opening up a new office, a new position, a new advisory council. And Nasruddin, I want you to be in that place as a minister. Minister. Says, yeah, I want you to be my minister of wisdom. Nasruddin goes, me? Me? Yeah, you. Because Nasruddin, you see, you have wisdom Words that can save people's lives. All of us called to be ministers of wisdom because we have words that can save people's lives. And my wife and I, it's the Islamic world for you who are here. It's the greater Bentonville, Centerton, Fayetteville area. 
will we be used of God, allowing ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to deliver that ministry of reconciliation that has been committed to us. It's not a choice, it's ours. You have it. Will you allow it to flow in you and through you? Anyway, I want to share this story to help you to get into your mind what it's like for a Muslim to come to saving faith. Christmas just around the corner, December 20th, I saw that there. That's one of the things. How many of you know what a miser is? Think, think about Scrooge, you know, tight, tight. Well, there was this miser in the, in the Middle East, and man, he was so tight with his money. I mean, every step that he took, he just squeaked. He was just real, and he was mean and hateful, and he had lots of property, lots of money and everything else. He was just a mean old guy. One of those guys that you just didn't like being around, and especially if you rented from him. Because every month he'd come to the door and he'd knock, Ahmed, Ahmed, hey, man, where's my money? How come I've got to come here? I told you last month, you bring your rent money to me. Why am I standing at your door? Tell me, Ahmed, don't be quiet. You've got a tongue. Let me see. You know, just like that. This is the type of guy that he was. Just obnoxious, mean, rude type dude. But he had a problem. He had a physical condition. And it started showing up. And when he was out and his blood pressure would get out, he started passing out. And every time he'd get up, he'd check to see if his wallet was in his pocket because he thought some, some thug, some lowlife will steal my money that I worked hard for and everything else. So it's getting bad, and, and he never would go see a doctor because to go to the doctor admits weakness. It means that you're not strong. And man, when you're in this type of business, you don't want to admit weakness. So he's thinking, hmm. What am I going to do to be able to continue to do this? I just, I, I need help, but no one I know, they don't like me and everything else. So he thinks, and he thinks that family members, I've got one sister, and she's a girl, and you know, and ugh. he's just thinking about this. Oh, but she was married, and she has two, I've got two nephews. That's what I'll do. I'll offer them an apprenticeship in my business, and they can come and work for me, and I won't pay them anything. It'll be wonderful. Room and board, and they'll have to watch out for me because they're blood. It's a great arrangement. So he sends the invitation to his sister, and his sister gets the, the, the letter, and she sees who it's from. She goes, man, what is this? When my husband died, the dude never even showed up. No card, no nothing, no fight, nothing. What does he want? So when she opens up the letter and she reads it, he wants me to send my ne his nephews, my sons, to work with him? Why would I do something stupid like that? I know him. He's no good. He's rotten. He's all alone. And when she says that all alone, the bell goes off in her head. She said, that's right. He is all alone. There's nobody else but me. I'm blood. Uh-huh. And if he dies, guess what? Everything that he has goes to blood. It's a wonderful arrangement. So she calls her two boys in and tells them about how mean he is and everything else. And be on your best behavior. There's an inheritance that's waiting and everything else. And so he sits there and they think, well, they don't know him. They've never seen him. But anyway... They get on the bus, and they go to the village where the miser is. When they get there, man, what took you so long? I sent that letter a month ago. Where have you been? You're worthless, both of you. He starts it out on that track right off the, at the get-go. 
Where have you been? I said, man, we, mama was right. This guy is low life. <laughs> Loser. Uh, big time. Well, anyway, they start following him around everywhere he goes. You know, and he says, Mahmoud, I was here. We had this discussion month after month. Where's my dough? Can't you walk to my house? You pass it every day on the way to work. I know you've got a job. Where's my money? <coughs> over and over this goes on. And the two nephews, they just can't believe it. Man, the guy, he, he's an alpha. There's no question. I mean, this dude is. Why would he talk to people? They're going to pound him someday. But then they noticed he was passing out. He'd pass out. And, and we'd go, leave me alone and stuff like that. And then they noticed something else, that each time he was passing out, the spells lasted longer and longer with him being passed out, and they were getting closer and closer together. And they kept in mind, because they're, hey, they're good people in heart. And go see a doctor. What's wrong? Go, Don't be telling me what to do. I'm the boss. You take orders and directions from me. Don't start thinking. Just follow example. Real mean son of a... Pop right in the mouth. Serving right. They don't. But they start the feelings he has and the feelings they have. Then the two nephews start having the same type of feelings about their uncle. They can't stand him. They despise him. They hate him. I wish he'd just stay down there and lay down and die. I wish he'd never get up. He, you know, they think when they're alone, they come, of course, not around their uncle. Every time they're there, they come on. You're the miser. Okay. Pass out. Lay down on the floor. There you go. All right. Uh, checking, checking his pulse, you know, and every time they check the pulse, the, the mind, wake up. He wakes up. He gets up. He gets up. No, 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 no. Okay, he gets up. And then they start on. Well, one day, one day, and don't hurt yourself. Just fall down easy, easy. The miser passes out, and he conks his head. Blood spilt, man. Blood spilt. And I mean, he's out. So the two nephews, they see the puddle of blood, and it's just growing behind his head. So they come over, man, yeah. Oh, you're dead. <laughs> they reach down, and they go, he's dead. He's oh! And they like, recognize him. Is anybody watching us? He can't do it. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> Happy. Happy that the miser's dead. But he's really not, see? Because they call the undertakers. Where's my barber? Come here. Get him out of here. You take his hands. You take his feet. There you go. Get him out of here. So they get him out of there. A little further. All right, that'll do right there. Lay him down. So in the house, they got him in there. And they got his, got his best clothes laid out and everything. No, where are you going? You're working, man. <laughs> got him out, washing him. And then, well, as soon as the cold water, anybody in the nursing profession here? Oh, man, with a wet wash. When you pass out, man, and they touch you with a wet cloth, guess what happens to you? You're alive again. You may not even be able to get oxygen, but when that cloth touches you, it's amazing. Well, as soon as the cloth touches his head because they're washing his body, he, he moves, he stirs, but he's hurt. 
They back up. The dudes alive. But guess what? No body. No funeral. No funeral. And you know what? No money. So what they do? They go ahead and take his clothes off and put on his dress clothes and just leave him there. Now, in the country, you got to bury him the same day because it's hot. No, nothing to do with bodies to be able to store anything up. How many of you remember Yasser Arafat? Yellow. Important because we're going somewhere. Anyway, so the two nephews, they're in another part of the house. They're saying, man, we're going to inherit all of this, but there are going to be accusations. There's going to be charges and everything else. And there won't be one person that's going to cry at that funeral. And, and it's going to be hard for us to cry because mm, he's treated us so bad. What are we going to do? So what did they decide to do? They hire professional mourners. Yeah. And they even existed in biblical times, by the way. Professional mourners. So they hired the 40 wheelers of Damascus. They didn't start with an A, started with a D. There was no phone book. So anyway, the 40 wheelers of Damascus show up, and they're there. And they thought, and, and the two uh, nephews said, man, if you ever screamed, if you ever wailed, this is the time to do it. Man, we want to show for our uncle. We want him to be sorely missed. So anyway, it's time for the funeral. So they've got the body on a pyre, a thing that they're going to carry. Well, all of the townspeople, even though they can't stand him, bring him back up here to the club now. <laughs> even though they can't stand him, don't be grinning, you're dead. <laughs> And they got him on a board. Close your eyes. Okay, that's good. Lay him out there. All right, they got him on this board. Well, they're at each end. All the people that are in the community are wanting to touch the dead body because of Baraka, blessing. They believe even though he's dead, even though he was a no good, he was wealthy. So some of that, maybe it'll rub off. So they'll take it and they'll rub the body or they'll touch it, and then they rub themselves. Where they're at. And that's how Yasser Arafat's body got dropped two times. Everybody was trying to get a hold of it. They wanted some of that blessing. So, anyway, guess what? So, here's the two nephews. They're leading the procession. The undertakers are there with the, the body. And then the 40 wellers. <laughs> screaming and just wailing and bellering. I mean, it's a sight to behold. Guess what happens? Bring them around a little bit. Straighten him up. Okay, well, right there, right there, right there. Okay. So, two nephews walking this way. Under, you're in the front. You're right here. 40, turn around, you're walking that way. <laughs> and they're jostling. Guess what happens? Undertaker, I mean, the miser, wakes up. Sit down. <laughs> Looks around. What's going on? And everybody just stops momentarily. Can't you see? I'm alive! And the two nephews and the undertakers, because they're already guilty, and the wellers, guess what happens if there's no funeral? No money. So, boy, they really start screaming. They really start wailing. Can't you idiots see? I'm alive! Everybody just keeps right on walking. Well, they come to a crossroad. And the judge looks down the crossroad and sees the impartial judge 
A judge that only listens to the testimony, forgets all of the other evidence, only the testimony. That's what he bases his decisions on. So as the judge is walking down, the miser goes, Hey, judge, it's me. They're trying to bury me, but I'm alive. So the judge comes up, and everybody continues. He says, Whoa, stop the procession. So they stop the procession. We're going to have court right here. Do these chairs move? Hallelujah. Nephew number one. Nephew number two. No, don't sit down. You're over here to the side. Sorry. The judge is sitting here. And who are you? I'm number one. You're the nephew. And he says, so you know this guy? Uh-huh. Yes. We're blood. We're blood. Come on. Man, I'm not sure you're alive. <laughs> We're blood. Oh, okay, so you're family. Yes, you are. So I'm going to cut to it, so I won't keep you long. I don't believe in that. Is he dead? Yes, you're on. He's very dead. Don't kill yourself. But I'm alive. Can't you see? Can't you see? Okay. Judge goes, shh. You'll get your chance. Be quiet. Thank you. You can go sit down. And who are you? Under professional, professional witnesses, professional witness, man, we notch up. All right. So you've seen a lot of dead bodies. A lot. Yes, a lot. Says, Graveyard, very oh. most of them, all of them, oh. all. Oh. Y'all uh -huh. muscled everybody else out, huh? All right. Okay. So you know a body that's dead when you see a dead body. Yes. Is he dead? Yes. He's dead to me. Dead to you. Okay. I'm alive. Can't you see? Can't you see? Are you dunce? Stupid. Are you stupid? I told you you'd get your chance. Thank you, gentlemen. You can go back to your positions. You're the representative. <laughs> and, and who are you? I'm the representative. Of the Damascus Wellers. Okay. Oh, you did my sister's funeral. Wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, she says, she, and the lake. Yes, we do wonderful, don't we? Did, did you like the screaming or the crying or the wet? Real tears. We can shed them. She goes, oh. So you're a professional. You do funerals all the time and weddings. Okay. Oh. So you're a professional witness to them. Yes. You've seen lots of dead bodies. Is he dead? He's dead, yes. Yes, he's dead. And you, and, but you don't say anything, but you touch your chest to the judge starts. Okay? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, all you ladies. <laughs> wait, wait, you're not done. And who are you? I'm the miser. I'm the miser. You know me, judge. I gave you money. I gave you money. Help you get elected. 
up you get away from We're like this. Uh, we're like this. We're tight. <laughs> we're tight. Now, now, get this fixed. Get this fixed. <laughs> one question. I'm going to ask you one question. Okay. Are you alive? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Far be it for me to believe what I see with my own eyes when there are so many witnesses that tell me something else. Proceed with the funeral. Whereupon the miser screamed one last time, passed out, passed out, Picked up, taken, and buried. That's good. Thank you, gentlemen. You can get up, miser. Wait. Yeah. He, far be it for me to believe what I see with these eyes when I hear such a great testimony from all of these witnesses. You're a Christian. I'm a Muslim. Didn't choose it. I was born that way. Vast majority of Muslims. No choice. Birth papers stamped Islam or Muslim in one box. They don't know anything else. It's not that they've rejected Jesus. They've never had the privilege to know Jesus. So they're born that way. And when we come and we say, we have the answer for your problem, they go, what problem? For your sin problem, I'm not a sinner. Think about that. I'm not a sinner. See, we have all these terms. We have a vocabulary that we're comfortable with, that we grew up with. To them, what is sin? Disobedience to God? In Islam, Adam asked God to forgive him in the garden and they were forgiven. Problem is, how come we're still not there? You know, but I don't want you arguing with him, but I, I don't go very far with that. I say, stop that garbage. You have it inside of you. You feel the regret for your sin. You know when you've done wrong. It's in within every one of us. But they look at me and they say, as much as I would like, to change, to accept, to believe what you say. If I believe you, it means my mother and my father were wrong. My grandmother and my grandfather were wrong. My great-great-grandmother and my great-great-grandfather. As far back as time, it means everyone in my family is wrong, and to be wrong means that they are damned. That's what you want me to believe? That's where it's at. That's where the battle is. 
That's where the struggle is. To admit that everyone that I've ever known, that's ever lived, that didn't know Jesus is in hell. Hmm. Think about that. We have an answer to a question that they're not asking. We have a solution to a problem when they don't feel sick. We're offering them something that they absolutely despise in their own culture because it's an honor-based culture and society. I would never shame my family. But you want me to believe you over all their testimony. That's what we encounter. That's what we face. That's the reason you must pray for your missionaries. You must pray for one another. That somewhere, somehow in your life, in your ministry, in your witness for the Lord, the decisions, the change, the transition, it's larger and it's more difficult than we can remember when we came to saving faith. Why? Because we're living in a different world. Say, well, brother, hold on. Why even do it? Why even try? If I, I, I'm nobody. I can't do anything. <laughs> For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen. I'm not putting that. That's what it says. God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. But by his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. Take your hand out. Touch yourself. I have something. I have Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. I have something. I have something. The more of it that we give away, the wonderful thing is the more of him that we receive. The more you witness for the Lord, the more you want to do it. You can, where they at, God? Just like a terrier waiting for a rat. Where are they? Send them my way, Lord. <laughs> You're ready. You can't wait. Why? Because you got something. It's not us. It's him. We're like every missionary until our fellowship, if it ever does change, we're like every missionary that will grace New Song's doors. We have a budget to raise, monthly and in cash. Give what you can give when you can give, and the need will be met. It always has been. 
I do have to share this because of the fact that I was in a mission service recently. Missionary, new missionary. Been itinerating 18 months and still has about 40% of their budget to raise. We got a lot of missionaries fishing in the same pond. And I understand that. But all of us are facing deadlines and requirements by headquarters that we didn't establish for ourselves. So one of the things, not only for health, not only for traveling mercies, but when you pray for us, pray that those who are, that we encounter in places of ministry, that can give, will give. And again, the need will be met. God bless you, Pastor. Thank you, Brother Hodel. And um, we're going to follow what the Holy Spirit led in the very first service. I have a couple men come to receive the offering. Normally, I tell you at this time that if you have um, something you want to designate to uh, the missionary, that you put it on a check or you put it on the envelope, and then anything that's normal tithe or offering, you put separately. And this wasn't pre-planned. I just felt that the Holy Spirit put this in my heart before the at the first service before we took the offering. But I want to challenge you that anything you came prepared to give today, whether tithe or offering, that we uh, designate that all to the missionary. Um, you know, those kind of things don't make sense in the world's plans because uh, obviously with us getting ready to undertake a building project, we just talked about financing with the advisory team and, and how, you know, there's a challenge ahead of us. But we don't pay the bills God does. We don't, we don't build the building God does. You know, we, we can't put things in a business model since we can try our best, but in the end, God's the one that answers. And so um, I felt very, very certain in my spirit and uh, didn't have time to consult with our advisor team, but all of those men are missions-minded men. So, yeah, so whatever you came prepared to give today that we designate to Brother Hodum. And then beyond that, as he said, the monthly support is really uh, key to these missionaries because it does two things. One, it does uh, bring a constant income for them to be able to accomplish their mission on them. They leave with a mission with a certain uh, mission to accomplish. And in that, that requires a budget. They have to raise that. But when you're given monthly, it reminds you to pray to the missionary. We, we are very closely tied to our finances. And when we uh, set out to give monthly, it causes us to, to remember to pray as well. When you make that commitment, if you made a commitment to prior missionaries monthly, if you made those, remember those commitments because those missionaries are now trusting that God has led you and that you're going to, uh, as God provides to you, uh, you're going to give. And so I want to take a moment and just pray over this offering again. Uh, if you already made a check out for tithe offering, you have to rewrite one. I apologize for wasting your check uh, for, for that purpose if you have to repurpose it. But um, I just feel like the Lord would like, like us to give all that we plan to give today and even beyond that uh, to our missionary. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done already today in our hearts. Lord, thank you uh, for this great fellowship we're part of, Lord, and others, not just assemblies, God, but others who believe that the church's purpose is not to be inward-focused, but uh, outward-focused as well. And that means missions across the world. And even those like Jonah experienced, those that uh, we may find a hard time in our hearts always loving, but God, with your help, with the Holy Spirit's help, not only do we love them, but we pursue them. And so we thank you for it and, and pray that you'd use this offering to win many Muslims to the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.